Welcome to Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Graham Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. We're on air thanks to Xinhuarazi, home of Made in China, a quarterly on Chinese labour, civil society, and rights. Today we're talking about the politics of art, censorship, and dissent. We're interviewing two influential artists who've used the power of art to challenge and discomfort the Chinese Communist Party. Ba Dutao, who works under a pseudonym and keeps his identity secret, is based in Australia. Samson Wong is half the art collective known as Ad Oil Team and is based in Hong Kong. They're both explicitly political, and they both use the internet to disseminate their work and to crowdsource art. Both recently did work commemorating the death of the Nobel laureate Liu Xiaobo, who died in hospital while still serving an 11-year prison sentence. Badiou, so let's start with you. You did a series of pictures of Liu Xiaobo and his wife Liu Xia with a blank space where their faces should be, and uploaded it to the internet. It appeared on walls in Melbourne, Sydney, Canada, and even on the streets of Beijing. Why did you choose this image, and why do you think it resonated so much? So it was actually based on one of、uh, the last photos、uh, from Liu Xiaobo and Liu Xia together, because you know he's in this very critical condition, and also in this very sealed condition that nobody actually have access to him. So a image like that is like the only. Uh, visual resources we can reflect or reference his situation. Apparently, this image went virus first, and I believe quickly become censored、uh, in the Internet of China.、Um, so I'm thinking it will be good to make this image surviving for a little bit longer by making it into a cartoon. Every image that I create, I have to thinking about how does it survive inside of the great firewall.、Um, Sometimes the most simple、uh, image is the most effective ones because with this simple image, it create some sort of signal or symbol to、um, represent Liu Xiaobo and Liu Xia in the same time. So I wanted to ask you, Samson, as well. I, you also did an artwork marking Liu Xiaobo's death, and yours was a marathon reading of Liu Xiaobo's statement, the one that Liu Xiaobo himself was stopped from reading during his court hearing, when he famously yeah, yeah. said, "I have no enemies." And you asked、yeah. people to upload the sound of themselves each reading a sentence from that. So why was it so important for you to mark? This moment in this way in Hong Kong. On the one hand, a lot of people are posting the sentence、um, "I have no enemy" or "Mu Yao Dengam" online、uh, through Facebook and Twitter during the, during those few days. On the other hand, I realized a lot of my friends have never really read it, so、um, we were eager to do something to trigger or to encourage people to read the full text, and then.、Um, 
I, I tried to research or, or look into uh, a little bit more about this piece of writing and and realized that uh, Liu himself has never read it in full in the court because he was not allowed to do that with a particularly uh, absurd reason. The reason was that um, his confession or, or his, his speech cannot be longer than that by the judge. So I find the absurdity of that uh, intriguing. Uh, Samson, what do you think of the the philosophy or the sentiment behind uh, Liu Xiaobo's um, "I Have No Enemies" speech? Does that in any way inform your work uh, as an artist? And also, as a question to uh, Buddy Otsao as well. Recently, there are activists being put into jail in Hong Kong, and then I also think of this speech because at that time I feel that I have some enemies, and I was I was extremely angry. So. I can't quite digest or swallow that kind of sentiment that uh, the calm emotion he had in, in the words because everything I wrote after the activists in Hong Kong being put in jail was so angry. So then I think of I have no enemy again and I read it again. And I wouldn't say I entirely agree with that uh, when you're facing an authoritarian regime, but uh, I think it's a way to learn. It's kind of almost like uh, reading some Buddhist philosophy to me is 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 so remote to me because uh, I get emotional, uh, emotionally charged quickly, and that's what drives me in making my art. But uh, in a way, um, our previous projects are, are much more uh, driven by anger or driven much more driven by a sense of justice and protest. But this time, actually, you inspire me to make a completely different kind of artwork. But Yotza, what, what do you think of the sentiment? It's actually very um, practical in a way um, for the future. For contemporarily, I guess the meaning for it is when you're having a regime which is so violent, so showing off its power by, um, you know, detain or killing its uh, intellectuals or, or dissidents, they are actually very weak indeed. And how do you be different from them? Which is saying, look, we're choosing a different way. We're not trying to eliminate you as you will do to us. I am saying I have no enemy. For me, it's a powerful gesture as well. Um, by saying that, it means I don't really take seriously about your power. So in that way, you're mm. not even capable to be my enemy. You've both been censored in various ways. And Samson, you, your case was this the tallest building in Hong Kong, which uh, your art collective used for a light installation that was switched off. Um, and the thing about that installation that proved problematic was it showed this countdown until mm, June the 30th, mm. 2047, mm -hmm. which is the moment yeah. when the one country, two systems guarantee the framework by which Hong Kong is supposed to be governed expires. It's probably the highest profile case of artistic censorship in Hong Kong so far. What do you see as the forces behind this? Is it a problem of censorship from above or is the problem more self-censorship and sort of uh, timidity from below? My case is actually a little bit complicated. I think um, it has a lot to do with how the art world 
operates in Hong Kong rather than just uh, looking at the government or the state or, or any kind of a political censorship because uh, the venue we use are actually sponsored by a private property uh, company from Hong Kong. So uh, there are lots of different kinds of dynamics uh, at play here. Essentially, as far as we know, uh, at that time, uh, there was no pressure received from the uh, brand new provider. So a lot of these are uh, self-censorship. That must be something, though, that is in a way even more worrying than official censorship, you know, that people within the community in Hong Kong are effectively muzzling themselves, right? Actually, I've, I've talked to a number of people who experienced censorship in the last one or two years. We are still at the stage that uh, people at the top would, would deny or people involved would deny absolutely that they are they are censoring you or they dislike your political message. So it always comes from an excuse about future opportunities. Until now, uh, this kind of argument is still quite convincing to the general public that because they think a lot of things are business or a lot of things are uh, having the kind of uh, hidden rules, so we have to follow the hidden rules. That helps how uh, censorship could be easily operated in Hong Kong. Right. And I mean, within China itself, we are increasingly seeing a situation where Chinese artists are subject to all kinds of quite baffling dictates. And there's a case very recently where the artist Zhao Bandi had a show in Beijing. There were two artworks that they tried to show that were forbidden from being re-imported. And mm, one was a picture mm. of surve- a surveillance camera and the other was a picture, the back of a neon sign that said the China dream. I mean, Badiotar, what do we read from that level of censorship about the ability of Chinese artists within China to actually yeah. express themselves? So in this way... Um, Especially the Chinese dream one, um, because it's a propaganda slogan posted by the current president, Xi Jinping. So um, I guess that triggering them, um, firstly. For the civilian camera, it is always a problem to singulate uh, object like that. It can be really powerful and, and also triggering the imagination of the audience. A government is really worried people's imagination. And the government, what the risk they don't want to take is they think in a wrong way. So by um, saving the problem, we just censorship the whole thing. Um, this is almost the logical of the government who is dealing with any issues around this country. It's not just in the art world. Um, um, similar things you will see uh, like in the city traffic system. They find the motorcycle is really hard to control. So they just wipe it away completely, which for this case is the same thing. If they feel something is very hard to control, very hard to understand, um, they worry about people's imagination, may put it in the wrong way. Quickest um, solution for them is to just banish that image. I mean, Samson, do you look at cases like that and worry about your own future? Uh, I definitely worry about our future because the future is already happening right now because uh, more and more cases of censorship surfaced in Hong Kong in the last two years in particular. And people were discussing a lot about the uh, the law about the national anthem 
to mm. be applied to Hong Kong as well. Uh, and and um, people are already digging a lot of past creation uh, or, or artwork that play with the Chinese national anthem. And they were asking whether these would be banned or prohibited in the future. So um, rather than just being uh, worried, I'm, I'm actually start creating a piece of work with my friends, which is called Museum of Censorship. (laughs) (laughs) It's at the beginning stage because we find that uh, the cases are accumulating already in Hong Kong. One of the things that I want to touch on is that uh, in Beijing or just now in the cases you talk about, they can tell you to stop uh, in a very direct way. But uh, in Hong Kong, they often find all kinds of absurd and funny excuses. So it's in a way we want to document or we want to uh, have a catalog of these excuses or, or the, the complexity of the cases to be to be uh, put into this uh, so-called museum of censorship. So uh, we want to look at the transition. So uh, I know you've only just started this uh, this, this project, Samson, yeah, but, yeah. but what are some of the uh, exhibits that you've got inside the museum already? I want to say a few words more about this project. Actually, uh, it's not just about recording the case. We're we're trying to uh, respond to them humorously because uh, in these cases, we always have petition and uh, letters asking the group who censored the work to to apologize. But of course, we never receive uh, an apology. So uh, we decided to uh, write an apo- uh, a letter of apology for for that person uh, uh, in, 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 in his or her name as a way to document the case. And Baduta, would you have any candidates for the Museum of Censorship? Uh, I guess all my work will be <laughs> candidate for the Museum. Um, I just want to go back to the censorship, uh, how it works a little bit in China. One thing for the censorship system is that it never really giving you the clear standard of which context is allowed, which isn't. So with this blurred standard, it actually generates people to censorship themselves because when you don't know what is the word that you should or you're allowed to say it, you tend to say nothing. They are changing the rules all the time. So making you feel panic, making making you censorship yourself instead of waiting for them to move on you. And that's something that, Samson, you've written very eloquently about. You wrote a piece in the Hong Kong newspapers talking about the day when everything becomes sensitive, didn't you? So I I really like to observe these kind of uh, cases because the way they operate fear or they use fear as a way to manipulate your emotions or to ensure that they, they got their outcome. It's rather complex and it's rather unique right now because uh, in Hong Kong, it's still a gray area. The authority doesn't want to be explicit, but they want you to conform. So I'm really interested in how they operate that way on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm very unhappy that people would automatically decide to be hypersensitive. The censor themselves are also victim of, of that kind of fear circulating. I want to look into that kind of fear because we are in a state of transition right now. It's not entirely a strict censorship uh, going on, but it's not entirely free for artists to create. I think the fear is the keyword, yeah. 
it might be a good time to talk about your own work that you did, which really referred to the narrowing space in which artists or critics have to operate. Um, and that was the work that you did for the 20th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to Chinese rule. Um, and on on the day of the anniversary, there was a huge fireworks display in Hong Kong Harbour. So your comment on this was an online piece called A Harbour Without Fireworks, and this is how that sounded. Tell us a bit about the motivation behind this artwork. In the last 12 months, we've been thinking a lot about a parallel event when when some kind of celebratory occasion or celebratory event happens. We, we hope to broadcast an alternative uh, news program. We, we first did that uh, during the uh, chief executive election in Hong Kong because uh, we realized during that morning, most of the, the media, most of the news outlet will be showing uh, footage about the election live through their channels. But um, if we think about it carefully, although they are doing that kind of live uh, broadcast about the election, actually the election only involves about 1,200 citizens because most of us are, are not allowed to vote. So we are we are not part of the election. Right. It was a small circle, only the election committee that was able to vote of, yeah, yeah, of 1,200 yeah. people. So in a way, most of the people are not participating in the election. So it's not actually something related to the public in a way. So we're playing on this idea. So we did a parallel broadcast of another video of people having breakfast, <laughs> sleeping, because they are not allowed to be in the election while the all the news channels are playing, showing the election footage. We decided to show something in parallel. So uh, on 1st of July, we did something similar because uh, when we asked our friends, no one agreed that a firework is a light show that reflect our emotion or reflect the so-called real situation in Hong Kong. So we hope that we, we dream that or we imagine what kind of uh, alternative light show would be to commemorate the day. So uh, we decided to adapt our previous work, the one uh, showing a countdown to 2047, we show in animation of an alternative uh, Victoria Harbour without firework while the firework is shooting into the sky. So uh, that's the kind of protest aesthetics we're exploring. So we, we want to show something, uh, an alternative universe <laughs> or alternative reality that is happening that reflect more about our emotions. And it does strike me that's something that both of you have in common, that you're using these, creating these alternate virtual communities online that are kind of borderless. Was that on purpose, Badutao? Yeah, because uh, the government in China always trying to giving this single united voice, which doesn't allow a different voice. So by creating a parallel universe is already denying their approach. A lot of work that I created is about adapting the propaganda style, but, but twisting it in a way, so making it look like ridiculous or not that serious. Because, Samson, you're talking about the fear. And I guess uh, the best 
weapon to、mm. defeat fear is the humor or the absurd. All the fear comes from the authority, so they have to perform themselves as the just, the right, the brightest. Sometimes it's really ridiculous because it's fake, because no one will be that perfect. And as artists, we're finding the glitch or finding the little problem of that perfect image, and、um, allowing the people. See the pro- little problem, then、um, the whole building will just collapse with that little funny detail. Which talking about the censorship, sometimes you see on one hand they seems really powerful, but on the other hand, when they are censorshiping,、um, something is really absurd. Like when China is censorshiping the Winnie the Pooh, then we all know it's not working. They're making themselves as jokes. Thinking about censorship,、um, have you noticed a change in recent years in the way the censors go about their job? Is it sort of almost a war of escalation in that as you adapt, they also adapt? What, what kind of changes have you seen, other than just the narrowing of the space? I think it, it goes two ways. On one way, they're controlling、um, the field that people can express their vo-、uh, voice. On the other hand, we do see the propaganda system from China is adapting a lot of new contexts, which is about you know winning the new generation by introducing like the rap song or hip hop、mm. rap song, or、um, they are producing cartoons or mangas, which is actually the same old、uh, context from the history, but they're using this new appearance to attract the young people, and apparently. It's kind of working in, in a way because now we have a new term for the young generation who's been ultra,、um, you know,、uh, country lovers or patriotism. So we call them little pink, xiao fen hong. So this is inside of China, but also they are trying to expanding the influence overseas as well. That's what I feel.、Uh, You know, sometimes I feel a little bit intimidated, even in Australia, with all、uh, the overseas students, which is being very、um, patriotic and somehow、um, manipulated by the、uh, propaganda system of the China, or, or manipulated by certain force, maybe from the embassies or、uh, those channels based in the mainland. Thinking about exile for both of you, in in a way, Samson, you're you're sort of almost in a, a half exiled state. Is exile exile anymore in the way that we used to think about it in the post Tiananmen era, in the sense that the Chinese state has come with you to an extent? And is this a task, Badiotso? Is is this why you never show your face in public? Yeah, right.、Um, I have to. Ex- Experience uh, having encounter、um, with overseas students from China or like the Confucius Institution in Australia, and the way they presented is very similar the way、uh, the Chinese government presented in China. So for me, it's it's very necessary for me to like hiding my identity、uh, behind my works. Although we are like self exiled, and we're thinking that okay, finally I landed in a free land, I'm supposed to be safe. But I, I think this kind of guarantee has gone, especially for countries like Australia,、um, with a very intimate relationship between China and Australia,、um, with very close,、uh, you know, relationship economically and even politically these days. 
for me, it's like this is no longer a, a completely safe place. But the reason why I left China for the first place is I'm looking for a free state um, to do whatever I like in my art practice. But unfortunately, even in Australia, I don't feel like 100% free. And how about um, for you, Samson, in Hong Kong, um, is your status, I guess, um, becoming or sort of almost changing day by day? I think we used to think a lot about being in Hong Kong is not being in, in mainland, but uh, in terms of safety or or the freedom of expression you got. Uh, but um, I think the recent cases about alleged uh, kidnapping or the bookseller being uh, disappeared from Hong Kong actually alert people a lot about this. Because uh, the notion you put up is, is, is quite uh, thought-provoking. Some of the artists or some of the writers in Hong Kong used to thought being in Hong Kong is already a kind of exile from China. But I think uh, similar to what Badisha said just now, we no longer feel completely safe here, especially I, I kind of worry about uh, those uh, writers and uh, filmmakers who who are now in Hong Kong but writing and talking about uh, mainland China. If we look at the case about the China Quarterly, the journal, I think that kind of pressure on university would extend to Hong Kong shortly. And thinking about both of your work, uh, much of it is, is I guess, still targeted um, at mainland China. And your work is very, very heavily centred within China on, on WeChat and on, on Weibo. Um, how do you get a sense of whether you're having an impact within China itself? It's very hard to tell, to be honest. I'm relying on Twitter these days, we can see a growing number of the people who from the mainland um, starting to uh, using social media like Twitter or Facebook. So in this way, I'm kind of positive to see that the artists like me are actually having growing um, audience um, based on the observation on Twitter. According to the pattern of the spreading of information, um, sometimes you have to rely on the secondary uh, or, or third circle of spreading as well. So by saying this, I mean the people might download my image and then um, repost on Twitter or Weibo, even though it might be censored or uh, deleted very soon. But for me, it's like political cartoon is almost my daily homework. That I, If I try to do it once a day, then... Am I still having some influence inside of China? We all know that um, censorship happens via keywords, but if you're simply sharing an image, um, are the censors as quick to pick up on it? Yeah, it's not as easy to be censored um, as a text. So in this case, a visual language might survive a little bit longer than the uh, text. But the problem is, nowadays in China, the AI technology is really growing with a very fast pace. So uh, what I'm worried is um, technology will uh, standing with the government with a new uh, whole new power that's censoring, um, whether it is sound work, video work, or, or simply an image. Um, so one day they might catch it up. It seems like the efforts that the Communist Party makes to censor artwork and to monitor it shows that they to a certain extent, fear the power of art. I mean, do you think that artists really are that dangerous to the state? <laughs> In response to your question, uh, recently I actually am reading a little book called Can Jokes Bring Down the Government? So <laughs> it, it, um, 
is an intervention by an artist. It's a very small book, but uh, <laughs> I think the argument uh, that the author makes in that book is that uh, it's not just about art. I think it's uh, the modality of speaking or, or the way you talk, like uh, saying jokes or the specific kind of um, narrating events can be quite dangerous. And these kind of uh, narration could be very powerful, like storytelling. In a way, that art is more dangerous uh, to the regime than uh, just protest or than just a piece of writing because uh, the kind of emotion or the kind of uh, gray area they can cover. We tend to read a lot about uh, the transition in Eastern Europe now as references for the power of art in fighting authoritarian regimes. And then when we when we look at the plastic people of the universe in Czech Republic, they did not really sing anything particularly political in, in their songs, but the kind of uh, expressing yourself fully uh, or the kind of advocate for doing things that you want is, is most dangerous about art practices. That's, that's how art becomes dangerous in the way they encourage people to express themselves in non-standard ways. And Badi Utah, you have spoken about the space that art allows to capture the imagination. Is that what you see as dangerous, the fact that art kind of releases something that is beyond the control of a state that wants to control everything? To be an artist means that um, you have to be different, different from the history, different from others, um, but also being honest, being true to yourself. So I guess this is like a fundamental problem between a authoritarian country and an artist who is really, you know, celebrating the individualism. Artists tend to be annoying in a lot of ways <laughs> by not behaving yourselves, <laughs> by um, trying to recreate the narrative of the society. But this probably wouldn't be a problem in a democratic society because um, a democratic society requires people to be different, to throw in different opinions and find a solution with all the negotiation and difference. But in country like China, the government wouldn't tolerate the difference because it's too complex. And yet again, um, here comes the problem. So that's why they they against the art itself. <laughs> Samson, I'm I'm just wondering about. If in next 10 years, Hong Kong being falling down, just the same as the mainland of China, like the full uh, censorship system mm. will coming in and you have all, uh, you know, the police, uh, the violence that exactly mm-hmm. as the mainland. What will you do? Will you still stay in Hong Kong or maybe, uh, you know, going to somewhere else? Well, I, I, I find this question really intriguing. We ask ourselves almost three to four times every year when some of the events happen in mainland China or, or, or in Hong Kong, we ask ourselves whether we would we would stay. A lot of my friends are struggling about this question. I think it's, it's absolutely not fair for me to reply now because uh, a lot of us would, would just reply that we would stay and we would 
we would fight a beautiful fight, something like that. But um, I think it's not fair for us to comment that right now because when the fear really emerge or, or the kind of repression really appear, maybe a lot of us would change our answer. We, we are still in a state that uh, we couldn't quite imagine what, what it could be. In a way, also a kind of lack of imagination is also worrying. Recently, when Joshua Wong and the other protesters were put into jail, uh, people said it's time to imagine how Hong Kong would be transformed into a semi-authoritarian or even an authoritarian city. I think people are still very far from actually being able to imagine that. So one of the roles of artists right now in Hong Kong is also to explore these kind of questions. Um, Samson, Badio Tsong, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to our guests, Badio Tsong and Samson Wong. I'm Grant Smith, and you've been listening to The Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. Visit our Facebook page to learn more about Badio Tsong and Samson's work. Find us on SoundCloud and rate us on iTunes. This episode was recorded and edited in Hallwood Studios at the University of Melbourne by Gavin Neighbour with generous support from Xinhua Rizhi. Head to their website to find mismatched shards of China, including essays, original artwork, and of course, our podcast. Our theme music is by Susie Wilkins, and our cartoons and gifts are courtesy of Seb Danta. Bye for now.